All right, everybody. Welcome to the Mindful Hunter podcast. Oh, now I can hear a little bit. I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, uh, Monday night live stream uh, here with my buddy Greg, and we are going to answer some questions. We're going to talk some shit. I'm trying not to say anything too inflammatory. Um, do me a favor and, I don't know, like some shit, share some shit, do that kind of shit. If you want to ask a question, you can ask one in the YouTube. You can ask one in the IG channel, but that's the only way we're going to see them. Now, we only had a few questions and I sent them to you in a DM and now I don't know how to go get those because neither of us can look at our DMs, right? Yeah. What was it? The, um, <laughs> why don't I, one was, one was about the, uh, archery arrow, right. arrow building, arrow building. Okay. So we got to cover arrow building one oh one. Um, I remember three books, uh, that have nothing to do with hunting, but helped you be a better hunter, right? Yeah. And there was one right. more. Do you remember what it was? No. It was something it was a new hunter, uh or was that the arrow one? It's something new hunter. Uh no, I can't remember now. Son of a bitch. How do we Can you back out and go check your DM? Because if I leave the Instagram, I think it will yeah. I just don't, I feel like a dick, especially because we didn't get that many this week. So it's like, we might as well try and actually answer them. That's on my, that's my bad. No, it's all good. So my buddy from the island just hopped on Devin and he says, if a vegan trad hunter does CrossFit, what one do they tell you about first? And I, my, my one vegan joke is how do you know if somebody's a vegan? <laughs> I don't, know. don't worry. They'll fucking tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I've heard that one before. <laughs> Hang on, uh, I need a fan. I'm I'm overheating again. Oh, here it is. Okay, I got it. Well, let me know when you're ready. Yeah, man, shoot. Okay, uh, Gary, you sold because Ooh. of because of replaced or upgraded that you wish you kept. That's a good question, actually. That's a very good question. Yeah. Gear you've sold that you regret. <laughs> All right. All right, the come out heavy boys stopped in. Focus hunting stopped in. Go to lions stopped guys. in. This is yeah. There's like there's actual hunters in the room now instead of just us insta pieces of shit. Hang on, got to get some no. hydration. Uh, I got to get back into your thing. Here. There we go. All right, I got you. We'll get things organized one of these days. All right. Let's just start with a little, okay, because I don't want to get, um, actually let's start with your update first, man. And then we'll get into my road trip and all this stuff that's going on. What's how, what's been going on for the last month? Buddy, it feels like it's been the busiest month of hunting without hunting. Really that makes any sense? Like just like with the con all the conservation stuff going on, and with the seven B stuff going on, and um, you know just getting and then getting ready for getting ready for bear season. Zero in the rifle. Not that it was off, but you know you got to check it. What are you shooting? And um, three hundred wind make. Okay. 
Yeah. What kind? You still got that box of ammo that I need. I still do. Luckily yeah. for you, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm not no, it's, a tika, it's a Tika. It's a Tika with a Zeiss, Zeiss scope on it and okay. then a Spartan bipod. Right. right. It's almost identical so. to my setup, except different yeah. different um, so, uh, scope. Yeah. Yours oh, is nicer. It. Yeah, I got it last year. It's been, it was awesome. So I, I love I'm, that uh, gun. I mean, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying I tell it. everybody if you're looking for, like, I don't think you can beat that Tika for value. I mean, there's, yeah, I don't know how you could. No, it's it's an awesome gun. I mean, for bang for buck, it's it's right up there for sure. And then that that scope is unreal. I love I'm loving the scope. So, um, I love nice Zeiss pack. glass. I hate their yeah. warranty department. Yeah, yeah, you've had trouble with that, uh, dude. Spotting scope, and eh? then get this shit. So, I had to send it back. It was like two weeks ago. I'm calling and calling and calling. Like I'm that guy. I'm like, I'm just going to phone every day, multiple times a day until one of you pricks answers the phone. And finally, no one's, I can't get the guys at the extension, the assistant uh, manager who answered my phone calls and I can't get anybody in the service department to pick up. So finally, like, I'm just going to phone the front desk and I open the, I phone the front desk and this chick answers the phone. I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to be a dick, but I phoned your service partner your service department multiple times a day, every single day for two weeks. I said, no one's ever picked up. I said, is there anybody back there? And she goes, well, I can sure tell you we're paying people to be back there. So you just hang on and I'll get somebody to answer the phone for you. Yeah. I was just like, you gangster bitch. Yes. Yeah. Fuck That's you. Sweet, get That's somebody awesome. to answer the goddamn <clears throat> phone. And literally like two minutes, not even like two seconds later, this, uh, this guy picks up the phone and it's the fucking guy. I can tell by his voice. He's the guy who I've been phoning for two weeks. And he's like, Hey, I'm like, Hey, this is Jay Nickel phone and checking my scope. And he answers a couple of questions for me. And he's like, yeah, I've seen you've been calling. I'm sorry. We're just really busy. And I'm just like, whatever, man. Like, no, you're dodging my shit. Do you know what I mean? Like just answer the phone. It, you know, so anyways, I still don't know what's going on with my scope. He was like, I'll phone down and see if I can figure out. And I'm like, I don't get it. You guys broke it in shipping. This should not be a warranty issue. This should be a who's got a brand new one in stock to send this guy because we fucked up issue. No doubt. Anyways. You know, it's one of those things, though, with like, I mean, there's no excuse. Don't get me wrong. But it's like you you almost have such a high expectation because hunting companies are so good. Like, they're, so, they're the best. Like, I've had phenomenal... Like, I got to say this about Vortex. I really don't like their shit, but their warranty department kicks ass. Yeah, I've I've known a couple of people that have, I've never had to send anything in, but I know a couple of people that have had to send in uh, rifle scopes, uh, binoculars, um, and- Phenomenal service every time. Quick turnaround. I can always get somebody on the phone. I've always, it's been fixed beyond expectations. It always comes back beautiful. Like Like five stars, without a doubt. Like, yeah, man, their, their warranty department is- is phenomenal. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyways, I don't want to, I don't want to bag on that. Okay. I interrupted. No. So what else you got the gun sighted um, in? So what are the bear plans? Uh, end of April, I'm going up with a couple guys from, uh, from work. Um, I think it's going to be, be more of a casual trip. I think we're taking AT or uh, quads up. Um, we are going to go, we we're going to go into an area, but one of the guys went up last weekend and it actually is, it got washed out. So we're uh-huh. back to the drawing board, but I mean, there's lots of places that we, 
we have, and these guys got some experience, so we'll uh, we'll definitely figure that out. Not a big deal. And then my bigger bear hunt trip will be in probably middle of May, later later May, middle of May. So yeah, it's you'll a have more action then. then. Yeah, for sure. So it's more of a, I think there's a, there's one of the one of the new guys from work. He's never uh, he's never connected. So I think we'll we'll probably be focusing on him and try and get him on something, which will be fun, anyways. So. Sweet. Yeah, and then I. Um, yeah, with everything going on last month and uh, my brother-in-law Craig and I have been talking about sheep hunting for the last couple of years. So we've started planning, roughly planning a, a sheep hunt for next year. So and I promised myself when I did do that, I would sign up for the um, Wild Sheep Founder Society of BC. So I, I signed up as a life member. So I'm pretty happy about that and I'm excited and I can't wait for the to get going with that. So that's good for say. you, man. Yeah, it's that's awesome, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there's so many things out there. I don't think ethically you got to do them all. And I think going like, like big, going in big like that on one of them is like a really nice, simple way to just like feel really good that you're doing your part without having to keep track of like 15 different memberships. No, totally. And you I know what I mean? Like, yeah. And just with the stuff that's happened over the last month is like, you see who's, who's stepped up big time and who, and who necessarily not who hasn't, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, but man, those guys do a lot and they, uh, it's a great group. Um, no, can't say anything bad about them. So I'm super excited to be a, be a lifetime member and, you know, encourage anybody out there that, you know, even if you, if you knew if you haven't sheep hunted before, which I haven't even sheep hunted before, but I'm planning to, and they do a lot, not just for sheep, you know, they, they stepped up with this whole thing with the seven B and with the caribou and moose and, they do a lot for, for conservation in general. So it's a good group. I agree. It is a really good group. Yeah. Good on you, man. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get out for bear. Lander said I could go up there and hang out for a few days if I wanted to. I think it's, I think I'm going to have to see how the prep goes. He's going to be pretty busy. He's going to be pretty busy now. Yeah. He's super busy, but the thing is he can't take his hunters out of his tenure. Yeah. And I know some nice spots. Well, he, showed me some, I'm not taking any credit for it. He showed yeah. me some nice spots that are out of his tenure. So I can go up there and stay at his place and then just go, go hunt other areas. And then it doesn't impact like significantly far away. And yeah, then it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't impact his hunters at totally. all. Still. I feel a little, you know, the guy's got a lot on his plate. He doesn't really need one more body kicking around. Yeah. Um, and I'll see how prep goes. I was kind of losing my shit for a couple weeks with the calories being so low. Like it was like pretty severe depression and anxiety. Like I can't explain it. Just, yeah, man, I was having a hard time like doing anything. There's a week of work that I don't really think I did anything at all. I can't. Is it, are you still doing like, are you still doing like as intensive workouts in the gym as well? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's tough. I mean, when you yeah. start, when you start cutting, when you start cutting town and then you're still doing, yeah. trying to push through, it's, it's, uh, I'm on like a hundred grams of carbs right now. And I've been oh. doing that for the last four weeks. So it's like, I get a little like thing of this, like rice like that. No. And what's and, your weight at right now? Uh, this morning I was 246. Oh, so you've come down quite a bit already. I've dropped 25 pounds. Oh, nice. So it's yeah. coming. It's coming. Yeah. Like, what do you want to, what do you want to get down to? I don't like the, the, the number it, it, it's not that it's like, just looks how low do I need to go to look the way I need to look. And the yeah. higher that number is the better because the bigger I'll be. I yeah. originally thought I was going to shoot. If I was North of 200 pounds, I was going to be happy. 
And that would have meant losing 71 pounds. Wow. But I think I'm actually feeling a little more confident now because um, I'm still so heavy. I thought I would be lighter at this point, and I've already yeah. lo- I've already lost a significant amount of weight, and I'm st- and I'm I'm leaner now than I thought I was going to be at this point. So now my my guess is two twelve on stage, and I think I'll probably be like my all time low will be somewhere around like two oh five or two oh six during peak week, and then by the time I carb up and get on stage, like so two twelve. And what class are you going into? Yeah, these are really interesting questions. So they're kind of condensed classes this year because COVID dropped attendance pretty significantly uh, over a couple of years. So the last few shows, instead of having like seven or eight bodybuilding classes, they've condensed them. Uh So I think there's only lightweight, middleweight, and heavyweight. And heavyweight is 187 pounds and up. Yeah, And normally there would be like super heavy and then something else. So I might even be able, like if I got down sub 210, I might even be able to be like not with the super heavies. Yeah, I'll be everybody north of 100. So I'm in four categories. I'm in masters, 40 plus. Um, Oh, they want me to tell the elk hunting story, the bad hunting guy. I'll totally tell that story. I literally threatened to throw a guy off a cliff. I'll tell that story. Um, I'm in masters, 40 plus bodybuilding. And so that's just anybody over 40, regardless of weight class, goes in a division. There's also over 50 plus, And I think normally they collapse those two if there's not enough dudes. And then I'm in masters, open, adults, heavyweight. And so that's where all like the fucking big boys will be. Yeah, and I could yeah. just get crushed. Like, oh, yeah. if you're there could be like twenty six year old juice monkeys that are like two hundred and fifty. Like, I mean, who knows? Like, now yeah. it's a regional show, so you're not going to see like pro athletes, but it is very possible that there will be legitimate monsters in that class. But either way, well, be some big boys, yeah, for yeah. sure. And then I'm also doing classic physique because I can fit into the weight class. And classic physique also has a masters. And then they also have in classic physique, your weight allowance is tied to your height. Uh So I'm in class B, which is between six foot one and, or sorry, six foot and six foot one. And I think I'm actually six foot one and a little bit over, but I'm going to be conservative and just say I'm in the lower one for weight class. And I'm allowed to be up to 220 pounds to be in that weight class. Okay. So you're good there. I should be. be I, yeah, there's yeah, like, I be. definitely will lose another 25 pounds. Like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. No problem. Um, and they both have slightly different, um, not like rules per se. Oh, I lose you off Zoom. You should be able to use the same link to join back in. Slight technical difficulty, everybody. Greg's going to work on getting back in. While he's doing that, Thomas asked, how long is the bear season in BC? We have two bear seasons. It depends on the region. It depends on the area. But most places have a three-month 
bear season that goes from April 1st to June 30th. Or is it only the first two weeks of June? I think it's April 1st to June 30th. I would have to check my my regs. I think it's three months. And then in the fall, you get another two months, I think. Again, I'd have to look at it. I've never hunted bear in the fall because um, there's other shit to hunt. And they don't tend to taste as good in the fall because there's a greater chance you're going to be eating bear that have been eating, you know, dead fish and shit. Whereas that's less likely in the spring. There you go. Um, Sorry, dude. It's like all good. Advertisement just kicked up. Oh. <laughs> I was like closing and I got a Zoom advertisement. Um, it's three month spring bear season. Is it April 1st to June 30th? April 1st to June 30th, yeah. And then in the, I guess in, this, in, the, in the fall is just a couple months. I've never even hunted bear in the fall. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure it's like September 1st. It starts with mule deer or maybe it's September 10th. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. I know it's open until I think December. No, it's not in December. No, it's not that long. I think it's, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. I know it's open. Anyways, it doesn't matter for this, for purposes of this, because it's different in every area. Uh, I think a general understanding of bear seasons in BC would be a three month spring season and a two month fall season. And if I'm totally out to lunch on that, somebody can hit me up in the comments. And then Senor Hectic a while ago asked this question. We kind of glossed over it. He says, Hey boys, what's your thoughts on Australia not having a deer season? Do you think we should embrace deer now that they are here in great numbers? Or do you think that we should manage them for hunters? Okay, so he must be in Australia. And he, when he says, do you think we should embrace deer now that they are here? He must mean here in Australia. Hang on. I'm going to see if he's. Yeah, that's probably what I think that's what he's assuming. Um, okay, perfect. It's a very interesting question because even in North America for non-native animals, like invasive species, what the fuck? What's going on tonight, man? Oh, did it go down again? No, that was my, my camera just shit the bed for some reason, but we're fine now. So even in North America, there does not tend to be, um, game, uh, What's the seasons for um, non-native species? Okay. So like in Hawaii, there's no seasons for most of those animals. You just go over and buy a hunting license and you can just kill deer and you can just kill uh, goats and shit because they're all invasive species. If you're in Texas, unless you're hunting whitetail, mule deer, what else? What else they got seasons for in Texas? But like even elk is a non-native species in Texas, even though that's a bit of a weird situation because it was part of their natural range. There, There's no tags for elk. It's treated as like a, it's like when you go to hunt Audad, you don't need a tag to kill an Audad in Texas. You could literally go there and shoot 150 Audad. And that's not, as long as you have a hunting license, you can do whatever you want. Same as black buck, Axis, 
kudu, like all those weird invasive species. So I think the question is, should you have hunting seasons for non-native animals? What are your thoughts? Um, well, it'd be up to, it'd be up to how much damage the animals are doing, I guess. Like, it, I mean, it, it'd be all in re- conservation wise, um, and how they got there. Like you take Maui, for example, yeah. and I don't even think there's a closed season on excess deer or, um, no, the, is it, it's a goat, right? There's goat? lots of goats. Yeah. So I think, I don't even think there's a closed season. There's just a better season. Yeah. Like they call it. So, I mean, for there, I mean, there's so many of them that they need them gone. So they encourage people to come and hunt there. So in that case, yeah, I mean, it should be open. If it's same thing in Texas with, with the hogs and stuff, I mean, they're, it's pretty much a, a tourist attraction to do, go in a helicopter and shoot, shoot hawks. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's a close there either, except probably in the winter, but yeah. Uh, that black bear thing is a bunch of people commented and I also looked it up, but for like say region three, it's pretty Roughly September 1st to November 30th. Just side note. Okay, perfect. So three months. For most places in BC, it's going to be three months in the spring and three months in the fall. Yeah. So I want to address another angle of this question because I think it's a very interesting topic for discussion. A properly managed... Um. Oh, thanks for kicking in, RKAZ. So Rio Grande turkeys aren't native to Arizona, but we have hunts for them. So I think I was probably speaking a little bit too widely in absolutes. I'm sure there are other examples like he's mentioning. So let me rephrase and just say that as a general rule, most non-natives don't have hunting seasons and they're treated as an invasive species. Now, my question is, because because nobody's making money off of deer hunting in Australia. Therefore, there's no money to do anything about deer hunting in Australia or any of the money that does get put into deer hunting in Australia has to come from other sources, like from taxpayers, coffers that would have been put to other public use. So my question would be, if there's enough interest in it, does it make sense to monetize that practice so that it could be self a self-sustaining financial practice? Now, the other thing about Australia is they don't have um, a public land system like we do here. So there's, you can't, most people who are hunting in Australia are doing it on permission-based lands. So that also makes it really tricky as well, because even if you had a tag system, if that doesn't enable you, if you don't already have permission to go to hunt someplace, that doesn't do you, it doesn't really do you any good to, to have the tag in your, in your pocket. So that's another wrinkle in the conversation. Is there a point in having managed systems without substantial access to public land? thoughts i mean it's yeah i mean it's that's a tough one i mean we're so far i'm so far with my thoughts towards just being able to keep hunting on 
crown land <laughs> right now. I know, I know. They're trying to take I our mean, shit away, and we've I'm got like, public land. Yeah, I'm so far off from like thinking about that, but yeah, I mean, it's it's something definitely to to put forward. Even you got to talk to, I guess, down there you'd have to talk to like governors and get involved with the politics of it. Yeah, and I the reason I think it's an interesting topic for discussion is that in a lot of ways, it's it kinda is like a hunter's paradise right now. It's okay in Australia. If you have connections for land, kind of like New Zealand is the same way because you can literally go and hunt as much as you want, anytime you want for as many animals as you want. Now that only works when there's an abundance of game and scarce pressure. And as soon as the equation flips and you got more people than animals and you're trying to actually protect and conserve those animals then you're fucked. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so far from what we have here because yeah, people, you can own, you could own, you know, a hundred hectares here, like gang ranch. And just because you own say gang ranch, you couldn't go out and shoot a hundred mule deer. No. So, I mean, it's, it's so far from what we're used to, then it's, it's hard for, for me. Like, obviously like if they're invasive and there's like, like you said, like, you know, a gross abundance of them, then, yeah, I mean, I don't think that there should be a problem with giving her, um, you know, but there should be, I think there should be still tags or whatever. So at least there's money going towards conservation if your government puts the money towards conservation. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, man, different cultures. And it's like, we kind of have like Aldo Leopold and a whole bunch of like, kind of founders and Teddy Roosevelt founders of the North American model of conservation. We have them to thank for the roots of the system that's in place that kind of governs. I don't think we realize how lucky we are, but also kind of recently in BC, I've kind of had a bit of a wake up call with kind of what an illusion, all the things that I thought were rights were. Yeah. And it definitely. turns out there you don't, there is no, you know, rights really. Mm-hmm. It's just no. it's a bit of an illusion that apparently they can just take the shit away whenever they want. Yeah. That was one thing I was I was listening to a podcast with um I can't remember last week, but they also mentioned it in the new uh Talk of Sheep came out with a podcast with Randy Newberg. Um, yeah, yeah. I saw that. I listened, I listened I actually listened to it today and they were talking about um conservation and stuff. Do you think in like Montana and Wyoming and some of the some of those states where they were so close to losing some species of animal um, and they kind of got like got their act together. Do you think that's why they're so much better with Dude, conservation? Than no, no, Th- this is everything I was, I- I've spoken about this at length. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to give an analogous argument, the forestry industry. Yeah. So British Columbia, you would think would be a global leader in forestry. We are not. No. We are like, double digits down the rankings and how fucking terrible we are at managing forests. And I was in forestry for 15 years. So it put food on my table and clothes on my kids. So I'm not saying I'm anti-logging. I am very pro-logging. But we use like antiquated methods from the 70s with old equipment and out-of-date techniques. Like it's if you, when you show like Europeans and people from New Zealand, the way we log in British Columbia, they're like aghast. They're like, 
it would be like taking your dad, you know, from the seventies and dropping him off in a shopping mall today. Like he would, he would just be out of his league. And the reason is I think we're too fat and lazy. We have so much timber that people are just like, just, you know what I mean? Fat, lazy, log it, log it. And I think it's been the exact same issue. I was just having this conversation with, with, um, rich, um, Cody rich, when I interviewed him on my podcast and I said Mm -hmm. to him, I think because so many species were on the brink of extinction uh, or extirpation in in different regions in the United States, and that's still part of your cultural memory. So you had to work so hard and spend so much money to bring those species back that they treat all that shit with kid gloves. Like the amount of effort and money that is spent on wildlife conservation in the States blows. Like it's disgusting. Like we, it's not even one tenth of that here. Oh no. That was one thing I wanted to touch on too, was that I want to, I want to go back to the forestry thing for one sec, just before we move the forestry thing, like in so many areas that I've been to that, like you go through, like whether it's hunting or just, you know, hiking or, you know, up on my cabin where we go up quadding, these forestry companies, and I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the forestry companies are responsible for what they leave behind. Oh yeah, they make these big burn piles or this all this downfall, and nobody comes and cleans it up. Yeah. And it's like it's just a it's just a mess. And then you know whether it just sits there forever and and it, and it doesn't get burned. Where if it does get burned in in a, in a proper way, it it allows nutrients to come back to the grounds, and that's a, a clear. A clear fact of like, you know, fresh burns are better for conservation. Oh, yeah, and for sure. That's proven, but it just sits there. And whether somebody's getting paid and nobody comes back and checks, but these companies got to be held accountable for cleaning yeah, up their and There are some intricacies there, like, like slash piles need to be left for so long. You can't burn those things like the same season that you log them. You need yeah. to leave them for a couple of years to, to dry out. So there are some contributing fast, um, uh, factors, but that being said, in general, like routine maintenance, like road maintenance, is not up there. It's roads are their responsibility as well. When you run a, a TFL, road yeah. maintenance is not where it should be. Block maintenance is not where it should be. While you're logging, you're kind of constrained. There's like certain waste parameters as far as what you're allowed to leave on the ground because some would. It's actually cheaper to leave it on the ground and take the fine for yeah. waste than it is to log it because it's worth so little money that if you actually start putting it on a truck, it's costing you more money. So logging well, companies thing. are constantly playing <clears throat> that game and you'll see those blocks that you go to and you're like, this place yeah. just looks like a shit show. In like it's, six years of the same thing. It's and crazy. Come back. Like it's just yeah, it's garbage laying everywhere. Yeah. It's like, did they even take any timber out yeah. of here? And that's those. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. When you go to places like Europe and you go to places like New Zealand, And even in Australia, I lived in Australia for two years. I ran tree planting operations for a company. So I've literally planted 5 million trees in Australia. I know the Australian um, logging system quite well. Because it's so much more intentional and they don't have these never-ending tracks of infinite forests, everybody's like way more precise about how it gets done. Like some of the wood we got here, like those old growth cedar forests, if you knew how much money 
some of those blocks were like, it's like oil. Like it's oh, yeah. insane yeah. how much money is coming out. Like, anyways, I'm not going to go on about it, but I do feel very strongly that we approach BC hunting in the same way. Yeah. And I don't want to like be divisive, but I feel like every time I bring this up, any of like the old school BC hunters start shitting on the idea that maybe we need to revamp elements of our system. Like maybe $20 over the counter tags for every single animal that's running around our province is not the most responsible way to manage wildlife. And maybe if we were open to spending a little more now, if I was going to play devil's advocate, I'm already going to say, I don't really have a whole lot of faith in the current system. You know, they're screwing things up so badly. I don't want to give them more money. It'd be like throwing good money no. after bad. No, but let's, let's get into that for a second. Yeah. About, like that's, that's a great point because that's, that's actually something that I wrote down here because I was going to, you know, go off on a tangent eventually. Here, yeah. Yeah. But, please. Um, I don't want to be the only one that everybody hates at the end of this podcast. <laughs> exactly. No, but like, you know, our, the money that we pay for tags, I, I could be wrong with the statistics of it, but I heard it was like between 30 and $40 million go in, come in from tags to, you know, that's the Do money. Do you think it's that high? That's what I heard it was. It's between 30 and 40 million for tags, maybe it's to do. Maybe that's including like the guide, like guides and stuff like that. I could, it could possibly. I could be wrong if you Google it. Maybe, but it's gotta be quite. It's gotta be quite a bit. Anyways, but the, either way, let's like, assume it's a. It's way, a lot of money. Either way, um, there's a significant amount of money that is not obviously going back to conservation. Like I think we're only getting like maybe ten percent back. To, I, to go into conversation. I think you're right. I, I don't think there's any laws in Canada or in um, BC specifically that state that. So here's the thing. I found how many license sales there were. I don't think there's any laws in British Columbia stating that funds generated from hunting have to be spent on wildlife conservation. There isn't. It doesn't go back in. No. It's not, it doesn't go back into the same It certainly doesn't have that. to. I know that for sure. But the, the, the numbers I did, I did hear was $30, $40 million is brought in from hunting, whether it's from tags or just hunting in general, into BC, and the government only contributes about 3 to $4 million for conservation. But, so, I mean, that's that, that was on another through another podcast. Wow, get this, man. So in in January, February, and March 2019, there were 9,000 hunting licenses sold. There you go. In During that same time period in 2020, 18,000. It doubled. Wow. So because of COVID, twice as many people bought a hunting license. And what's what's um. What's a hunting license cost? It's only like, is it 50 bucks? Is it 20 bucks? I don't even know. I literally 30, go when I buy, I buy I my hunting 35. license oh, and I buy license? all of my tags online at once. And I just pay a flat yeah. fee. Let's say it's 35. I think What's it's 18. Something like that. 
Yeah, well, that's not that much money. That's only $630,000. I don't think it can be 30 or 40 million. Because if there's only, let's say, how many licensed hunters are there in BC? This would say only, you know, maybe 30,000 or something. If they're, if they're only selling 20,000 licenses in the first quarter of the year. Anyways. Yeah, I could be wrong. You know what we should do, man? Because I think this is a, a, a deeper topic. Let's press pause on this. Let's actually do some homework. And then in a future episode, let's do a deep dive on this. Yeah, where we can uh, actually bring some data to the table about how much revenue license sales is, generates, where that money actually goes. I can try and even get an interview with somebody that could... In you know we could get some information because I don't want to sound I I don't want to be responsible for like starting no, for rumors sure, or right. going off yeah. half cocked yeah but I think the general idea that more of the funds generated by hunting should have to stay focused on hunting I don't think anybody's going to argue with that no and that's the reason that's the whole point of like if you if you raise the now, I have no problem paying more for a, like you no know, for a deer tag or for a sheep tag or whatever. Yeah, like it's it, ours is so cheap compared relative to the states. It's it's crazy. Yeah, but if you're gonna pay more, the money has to yes. go back into it. And then at the same time, with our government, they have to follow the science behind it as well. Yeah. But that's that's getting into the whole another tangent of the same thing that we've dealt with for the last month. So yeah, man, let's not go there. But. Yeah, no, but uh, no, we should definitely do that. I'd be, yeah, I'd be interested to know. I mean, those are just numbers that I heard off off others. So, I mean, it could be the whole the whole hunting industry as a whole in BC, and that's what comes in. But I'm not not exactly sure. Well, I know the grizzly was the grizzly bears was quite a bit of money that the the guides lost from. Oh, I guarantee from grizzly bears. So now non residents. Yeah, that one I don't know. I don't think a lot of actual residents were hunting grizzlies just because that's a weird one for most people. But I know entire entire guide outfits went under or lost, you know, a vast percentage of their gross annual revenue because of that. Like that's, and that's the messed up thing about being in this space, man, is that you're just a victim of whatever regulation they pass. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the whole thing is crazy, but I mean, shout out to like all you guys that are doing the podcast that kind of came together there and, and really got the word out and um, like Tyler from Wilderness Locals and uh, Tanner from the Front Frontier Frontiersman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, man, he got pissed. He that dude was it. in it. No, but everybody though, you know, the coming out, coming out hard boys and like it was all those guys, all coming you guys just hard. came together. Coming out heavy, but close. Coming out heavy, coming out hard. Uh, <laughs> they do come out hard though yeah they do they do they do i like it it's it's a different take on uh podcasting for sure i like i like it a lot it's uh it's definitely entertaining for sure but um yeah you know the wild sheep society john barclow donated a bunch to that to the raffle that um yeah or to the to the giveaway that uh tyler had so that was pretty awesome of him and he's a good guy man howl howl was unbelievable Came yeah. up with the whole setup there for that was pretty cool. 
But now we just uh, all sitting on the edge of our seats and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. No. All right. But that's the thing too. Is that like you? We, you know, we we weren't ready for the grizzly bear. It kind of caught us sideways, and then this um, definitely was was a surprise as well. They kind of tried to backdoor it a little bit. I would say. Um, so we just yeah, we I'd say so. We gotta stop fighting each other and just come together and really be ready and and it just come as a unit and, and and the amount of people that came out for for this it was great but there should have been way way more people for the amount of people that are out there hunting on the weekend and you see you see driving around they're just people just didn't continue just not to not to show up. I also think there's a whole generation of BC hunters that has no no presence on social media, and there was no like advertising campaign like legitimate mainstream media advertising campaign that any of this shit was going on. So if you weren't on Instagram seeing people's posts and stories, how would you even know? Or if you went and checked, like there wasn't, I never got any email or like a notification that new regulations were up. Like you literally had to go to the website and check yourself. And I'm not saying that shouldn't be one of our responsibilities as hunters, Come on, man. Let's be honest. I, I, I mean, for most things that we're going to, you know, that significantly impact the public, you would think it's your responsibility to broadcast that to, you know, the general public. Anyways, I don't want to beat a dead horse oh, um, sure. because we have talked about this a lot lately and it's kind of out of our hands now. But I do think the general principle that we not need to stay more involved is is a good thing to consistently remind ourselves of. Definitely. You're hundred percent right on that. Yeah. Okay. Questions are, are stacking up. So let's just, I'm just going to clear out a, a couple of them. Thomas says, why did they get rid of the grizzly hunt? It was 100% a political response. So in the regulations, it was actually called a trophy grizzly hunt. So I forget what they're called. The Western law center or something like that. They're one of these like, kind of like like quasi anti-hunting blanketed as an environmentalist group with ties to like Patagonia and all the rest of them. And they're funded to basically just go around to places and try and get rid of hunting rights. There's also, what was it? The rain shit. I should know more about this. It's either the Rain Coast Alliance It's something like that. They were the ones who spearheaded it. And it was essentially very easy to do because, again, people think actions like this happen by referendum, and they don't. So if you can convince the ministry to remove a grizzly hunt because it offends people's sensibilities, then they just get rid of it. They, they don't have to get a vote. They don't have to get permission. They don't have to do anything. It's just gone. And that's what happened with the grizzly hunt. They they just, enough people said we shouldn't have one. They sunk a shitload of money into lobby groups. And I would say when they got rid of the grizzly hunt, the kind of cooperation and communication between the different hunting organizations was much weaker than it is now. That's why we had such a stronger response to, to the issues up in 7B because it was very easy for 
everybody to talk to each other and everybody to support each other and everybody to put out a concerted effort. And that didn't happen in the grizzly bear hunt. So, so the grizzly hair got grizzly bear hunt got removed. And unfortunately in systems like this, you rarely get back what you lose. Like once it's gone, it's a lot easier for them to just leave it gone than, um, than it is for you to fight to get it back. And then somebody says, how many animals have you shot with, with my compound bow? And can I list them? Uh, two black bears, two uh, ibex goats, one... Uh, elk Arizona mule deer an air how the fuck do I forget that thing <laughs> that was like my crowning achievement as an archer 55 yards nice 12 yeah, ring them, nice and he's deer. a crazy looking deer yeah, he's sick. a mule deer in Arizona I've winged a couple javelina but, but I've never, I've never been able to put one down. There's just they're just little footballs. They're hard to hit, the little bastards. Um, I'm trying to think. What else? I feel like there might be one or two that I'm missing. Oh yeah, somebody says the ibex is nice. Here's the ibex. That's him right up there on the wall. And I shot a second one. That's on Maui. You want to talk about hunting on Maui. That Ibex mm -hmm. is from Maui. Um, for the people listening on YouTube, I was pointing at my wall. Um, and then we, then he wanted me to shoot more because they're, they're a pest and they're everywhere. So as we're walking back to the truck, he's like, if you get a, oh yeah, I shot a white-tailed doe this year. That's right. You got to love, you know, you're doing something right when you forget about some of the animals that you kill. Um, I, I have not shot a coos deer with my bow. I've gone coos deer hunting twice. One time I failed to kill anything. And the second time I killed a mule deer. Um, and now that the border is back open, coos deer is 100% back on the menu. One of my favorite hunts in the world, man. We should, well, you went down there, you went down there to coos deer and you went and you end up, uh, was yeah. it AZO, right? AZO you went with, uh, ATO. ATO, ATO yes. went, um, and you, they had the mule deer yeah. spotted, right? Yeah. 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 My buddy who guided me the year before texted me that night or no, the day before I left, he's like, ah, dude, <laughs> I like, I know you really want to kill a, uh, a coos deer, but I've been seeing this giant mule deer bouncing around all week. Do you want to go after him when you get down here? I was like, yes. He's, he's got a good dude. YouTube channel. Yeah. Tim. Yeah. Yeah. Tim's yeah. the best man. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Chad's the one I go with when I'm down there. My guide, he's uh, he's a, he's a character. But yeah, so I don't know, maybe seven or eight animals. Um, I've taken with my with my bow, probably taken fifteen or twenty with the rifle, something like that. Um, yeah, and then. Listen, I will give the quick version of the shitty elk hunting story. So what happened was it was like my second or third year 
hunting elk. And I got my ass kicked the first couple of years. So I'm like, I'm just going to go guided. I don't know what I'm doing. I need some help. So I hooked up and I'll, I'll, I'll name the outfit. Cause I don't want anybody to ever, it was Cody cars. Um, like Cody cars hunting something, something out. I think it was like near Kalispell. Like it was in, it was just across the panhandle in, uh, or maybe it was like whitefish. Son of a bitch, man. Hang, hang on. I got to look this up. If I'm going to put somebody on blast, I better do it right. I'll get, I'll probably get in shit with this, but whatever. Who cares? At least it won't be like Lathrop and Sons when they threaten to sue me. <laughs> Idiots. Oh, maybe he sold it. Is it Wayne Hill Outfitting now? Huh. Maybe he sold it. Let me see where this is. Yeah, it's near like Clark's Thompson Falls. It's like just over the border from Spokane. I'm trying to look. It's in that, I think it's region one or 100 in Montana. So it's kind of like the north, uh, western. It's in the Kootenays, their Kootenays, not our Kootenays. Sorry, the northeastern corner of Montana. So anyways, back to, so I booked this thing. And I tell buddy on the phone, I'm like, listen, I'm, I kind of want to hunt hardcore. I want to go in the back country. Do you got somebody that can like fucking go flat out my fault for not doing enough research? He's like, yeah, no problem. It'll be great. And as one of these, it was just like a Zeiss spotting scope, man. As soon as they got your money, they never answered the phone. And <laughs> I never really talked to the guy much after that. And then I went hunting, I showed up and there was... I think 16 hunters in camp. And I'm like, what oh. the fuck? I mean, how? I'm like, how are we all supposed to get an elk? But anyways, you don't realize what a gong show some of these big American outfits are like. And a lot of these like richer businessmen guys, like half of them are there to hunt and half of them are there to just like fuck around, which kind of works out for the guys who are there to hunt because they don't care as much. But the dudes who are serious are definitely very serious. But anyways... So we get there and he pairs me up. We're going to go two on one. So two guides, one, one hunter. And he, um, and he pairs me up with this guy from, from uh, Washington, who's Tom, who's still a buddy to today. Weird tangent. I shot that Ibex in Maui and I texted my buddy, Tom. I'm like, Tom, I just smoked an Ibex in Maui. And he's like, are you in Maui right now? And I'm like, yeah, I'm at the Four Seasons. And he's like, I'm just down the street. And I literally took nice. my kid and we went and played with his kids like 20 minutes after I texted them and I killed this goat. Like, Small world. Yeah, super random. Anyways, so he pairs me up with this guy, Tom. He's awesome. We get along right out of the gate. And then he puts us with this 24-year-old guy from Kansas who's been in Montana for two years. And I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Because in your, I don't know if you've listened to you, I'm sure you've listened to the meat eater, but like I, in my mind, when I was going on a guided hunt, I was going to go find Buck Bowden. Like there was going to be this like epic, you know, 
uh, Jeremiah Johnson looking motherfucker. <laughs> he was going to like have been in the bush for 40 years and it was going to be amazing. And he was going to know all these things and I was going to learn from him. And then I get there, my guide's 24 years old. That's the other thing you come to realize once you go on a couple guided hunts. A lot of guides are just kind of babysitters and they don't really, they're not necessarily great hunters, which is why I think it's really, really important to have firsthand references when you're booking a hunt because the discrepancy between skill levels of guides is insane. Like there's guys who are absolute morons and then there's like guys that are just so impressive and they're just like, you know, you know, guys like Clay Lanscaster and even like some of the guys I've talked to on the podcast, like, you know, guys like Nathan French, he's taking it out of much of sheep. Look at harder. Um, that dude is a legend. Look at, you know, uh, Lander like there's, so anyways, he sticks us with this 24 year old dude. And this guy like runs us into the ground for the first, like it's a seven day hunt for like the first four days. And we see nothing. And then it was like morning at day five. We're in the middle of nowhere. There's no sign. We've never heard a bugle. There's nothing. And he points off the side of a cliff, like basically. And he's like, I want you guys to climb down there about a hundred yards and sit there. And I'm going to stand up here and call and we'll, and we'll do a spot and we'll like a stand and we'll see what we can drum up and like, yeah. And I'm sitting down there for half an hour and I'm, I'm finally I'm like, and I'm, I'm looking over at my buddy and I'm just getting madder and madder and madder. And I'm like, this is the dumbest shit. I'm like, there's nothing here, man. And it's like, now that I actually know how to hunt Helk, this guy is such a moron. So it turned out that I think what happened was because we were both, some guides are hesitant to take the younger, fitter, more ambitious guys to their honey holes because there's some assholes out there who are going to pay for a guide one year and then go back to that guide's spots the second year. Cause you can do that in a place like Montana. Whereas in BC, when the guys come up from down South, you can take them anywhere you want because they can't come back here and hunt without you. Well, sorry. A lot of BC guides won't take, they will not take, they won't take guys from BC. And it's like, I get it because people bite spots. Yeah. And anyways, it turned out because he had seen us taking spots on Onyx. So this guy literally comes out. I, I stomp up the hill after a few minutes and I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. And I start doing my J thing. Like I'm pretty calm, but I, when I lose my shit, it's fucking, I normally feel really bad afterwards. Cause I like lose it, lose it. So I start losing it on this kid. And I'm like, what the fuck are we doing here? Do you know what I mean? Like there's gotta be a place where actual elk are. And he starts saying, Oh, I can't take you to my spots because you guys keep taking points on your Onyx. And that's when I lost it. I'm like, motherfucker, you haven't provided me one map since we got here. You never tell me anything about where we're going or what we're doing. I'm like, what if you just died? What if you fell off a fucking cliff? How do you expect me to get back to the truck? And so I launch on this big tirade. I threatened to literally throw him off the fucking cliff. He's terrified. He goes white. My buddy is like, dude, you got to calm the fuck down. And I'm like, 
you know, the hunt was like 6,500 bucks and I was like blown away that I'd spent 6,500. I could do 10 DIY hunts for that. So yeah. I am literally losing my shit. And finally he phones Cody on this, like the sat phone or something. And he's like, this guy's going to kill me. He's really pissed off and all this stuff. And finally I get on the phone with Cody and I'm like, the fuck man, it's enough of this bullshit. Take us where the elk are. And my buddy had gotten so fed up. He went back to camp that night and went home. He's like, oh. this is bullshit. He's like, I can go back and hunt a November tag later in the winter. It's just across the border for me. I'm not doing this nonsense. And then the next two days we go to like the fucking holy land of elk. And I'm just like, this was here the whole time. And you didn't bring us here. <clears throat> like we showed up and it was like, that was the first time. Like people in BC don't really get it. They do because there are some areas that have been like heavily trampled by elk. But I mean, I've been places in Montana and Wyoming and New Mexico. When you go to a place, it is just like eviscerated with elk sign. Like mm -hmm. the ground is like churned up. It looks like a herd of elephants walked through there. Like rubs everywhere, shit everywhere, stinky elk piss everywhere. Like you're looking at a fucking war zone and then you're like, and you bugle and like three of them pop off and you're just like, holy shit. Like it's, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. And that's what this place was like where he takes us for the last two days. And I'm like, I do. And that's when the whole thing came out that they were worried we were going to take a spot. So I think Cody had actually told him you know, don't take these guys over to there if you don't have to. So he'd been kind of like, that's the other thing guides will do is they'll try and run you into the ground first to tire yeah. you out. So then you're not as pissed off when they don't take you to the good stuff. Cause really you'd just rather sit at camp. But it was like, I'm no, I don't get run into the ground moron. Yeah. Anyways, I'm going on a long rant now, but that was my elk hunting guiding horror story. And I've never gone on a guided elk hunt since, and I don't see why I ever would unless, you know, if there was like some fortuitous thing where I got invited or something like that, maybe I would. Or I know a couple guys in, I've thought about it in Arizona because I have a couple really close friends who guide in Arizona and it takes like maybe 15 years for a non-resident to draw a competitive elk tag in Arizona. And if you know what you're doing, you could bring home a 400 inch bull from Arizona. Wow. So maybe I would hire a guide at that point because it would be more like a scouting buddy than like a guided hunt trip. Yeah. But it was a terrible experience, man. Do you think, do you think a lot of with hunting becoming more like social media, more popular, like just like you said, with the, with the number of hunting licenses that were bought from 2019 to 2020, even right. That's just in BC. Yeah. Even over the States, it's got to be way more than that. Yeah. Um, do you think a lot of these, you know, guide services and stuff like that have that have upper hand with some with some people? Do you think they get a lot of people get taken? I think like not any, that you'd want to think about that. But no, like, no, but like any people, businessman people paying people paying these this massive money and they don't yeah. have a connection and they go down somewhere or come up somewhere and you know, well, they just you just hike around for a few days. Yeah. You know? I'm batting, I've added it all up and I'm 50, 50 with yeah. guided experiences. I'm like almost exactly, 
I've had 50% like quality interactions and I'm not talking 50% success rate. Like I'm not no, even, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm not, not I'm not even say. bringing, I mean, 50% of the time I, I have a really great experience and sometimes you got no choice. Like when you want to go to a place like Hawaii or like Alaska, Canadians aren't allowed to hunt in Alaska without a guide. So there are some places that are, that I want to go and hunt that I'm going to have no choice, but to, but to have a guide. Um, mm-hmm. 50% of the time I end up meeting somebody that, um, oh, I want to give a really quick shout out. A gentleman named Derek Gray just hopped in the chat and he is the chef for a restaurant called Row 14 out in the Okanagan. And I think they're not open yet, I don't think, but they'll op- be opening up for their summer season soon. I haven't had a chance to go yet, but he takes the whole like, local culinary experience to a whole new level from following him and knowing some of the people who he is in is his circle. So if anybody happens to find their way out there, it's close to a Soyuz, kind of this side of a Soyuz by maybe like half an hour, I think. And it's called row 14. And it's one of those like places that's in a combination like winery restaurant. That's kind of in that scene, but yeah, support that man. He's a hunter just like us. And it, it, it was, I almost made it, had a chance to get out there last summer and it kind of fell through last minute, but it's one of my, I've already told my wife, that's one of our like summer trips. I, I want to get out there and check out that restaurant, but just quick little plug, got to support cool. the people who, who support our community. And he just got his first bow this year. So fingers crossed he takes, he takes his bear with his bow, this bow season, if he gets out anyways. Awesome. Yeah, I do think it is quite realistic to assume that with the influx of new hunters who don't know, who don't have as many connections within the industry. Um, like it's still, it's a very segmented space, man. Like it is very, very hard to like go to a new spot and get to find a guide and feel, um, feel comfortable, uh, you know, booking somebody like I decided I was going to book a whitetail hunt in Alberta. And like, I'm just, you know, I looked around at a lot of places. I phoned a lot of people. I had a lot of personal recommendations. I'm going with a guy who's hunted with a friend of mine and it's a firsthand reference, but it's, there's still a little voice in the back of your mind when you're like, shit, man, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It might be great. It might not be great. You just don't yeah. know. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a a gamble. Like, yeah, yeah, man. I think there's lots of chances to get to end up with a shyster. But there's lots of great ones too. And that's why I would say like the ultimate kind of thing that you're the holy grail is a personal reference. Somebody mm-hmm. who has hunted with them that doesn't have a vested interest in the operation. I probably wouldn't book a guy, a hunting guide anymore without that. I want to speak yeah. to somebody and not even necessarily somebody cause they'll give you references, but then it's like, are they just cherry picking the couple that have had a good time and come back or like, are there 10 disgruntled guys for every one happy guy? Like anyways, I don't know. I don't want to so. shit on them either. Like I think guides, having a guiding based system 
is is one of the reasons like a lot of the rights we still have in BC I think you can give a lot of credit to the Goa um association because they were more organized you know better and earlier on and had more money than a lot of the resident hunters were so I, 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 they're an ally as far as I'm concerned. In general, I heavily support guides. And Definitely. I think the more of them that I know in BC are like really good guys. Like I've had lots of them on the podcast Clay, Nolan, Jeff, like these are all stand up dudes. So I don't want to make it seem like there's, they're a bunch of shitheads. I think they're a vital part of the hunting community. I just, For it's sure. like, like anything in life, man. You got to take the good with the bad. Um, a couple more quick questions popped up. Is it bow only in Maui? No, it's not. You can do anything you want in Maui. And in fact, if you've heard of Tim Ferriss's company, Maui Nui, they kill all their venison, their Axis bucks with night scopes. So yeah, you just Sorry, go I haven't even seen that. You murk the motherfuckers. Cool. <laughs> yeah, you just yeah from like half mile away, bro. Just. Yeah, Jeez. that would be pretty fun. Uh, when I had my buddy Sean Curran on the podcast, he lives in Maui. He's a stud, man. And he's done some night shooting for Axis Buck. He's like, it's pretty badass. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. So you can do whatever you want in Maui. It's private land. And again, they're they're an invasive species. They're a non-native. So you can, as long as you have a hunting license, do whatever you want. Um. I also want to mention, because I kind of use this as clickbait, I'm driving to Oregon tomorrow to buy a new bow. I'm going to the bow rack, and I'm going to do a podcast tomorrow night with Kellen from Inside Out Precision. So I'm going to leave here tomorrow at noon. You should put me in Springfield, right? Yeah, should put me in Springfield at around 7.30, 8 o'clock. I'm going to meet up with Kellen. He's going to give me some coaching on... my shit archery mechanics and then we're going to do a podcast and then I'm going to hit the hotel and then I'm going to go in the morning and buy a new bow. So it will either be the RX seven ultra or the V three X 33. I'm leaning towards the Matthews. Um, but I want to shoot them both because this is one of the reasons I'm going down there is that as Canadians and especially in Vancouver, we don't have, you don't understand most people in the States, they get to go to these bow shops with like hundreds of bows on the wall and take them down and shoot them and like test different setups and find out what they want. And here 99% of the time you got to pick something, order it in advance. And then when you show up, hope it's the thing that is right for you. So I'm going to go down there. You have a Hoyt now, don't you? I have a Hoyt pro defiant 34, 80 pounds. Okay. Death Dealer. That's his name. Are you keeping that one? I'm probably going to put it up for sale. Okay. Yeah. You're you're not going to trade it in? I don't know, man. It's like a five-year-old bow. I mean, what are they going to... I think it would be... I was also thinking maybe I should give it away. Like, what do I... I don't mean to sound like a dick, but what do I need with five or six hundred bucks? Like, okay... Five or six hundred bucks would be nice, and that's probably all I would get for it. It's a five or six year old bow. Although I don't know, yeah. man, I could be underestimating it because it's got an Excel Accu Touch sight. Like the sight was five hundred bucks. Yeah, the bow. I think all said and done was like thirty five hundred bucks when I put it together. Canadian. Um, yeah, but 
I've had it for almost five years now. It's the only bow I've ever owned. There you go. Every so animal nice, I've ever killed nice job. with a bow has. Yeah. I, yeah. And now that I have my own bow press and I know how to tune it, the thing shoots laser beams. Like yeah. I can put a field point and a broadhead on the like exact same point out to 60 yards. No problem. Um, shoots 580 green arrows out of an 80 pound bow. It's a cannon. Anyways, going to go buy a new bow, going to do some podcasts. And it's like just a Hail Mary mission. Sweet. Greg was supposed You're to awesome, come, man. but I didn't give him enough notice. <laughs> Sorry, man. Well, next time. Yeah. We'll make it happen. We're going uh, on another journey somewhere. Yeah. Do a road trip somewhere. Are you going to the outdoor show? Uh, I was thinking about going on. I was thinking about going Friday or Saturday. I might, I might head over there and, and see, and see what there was. But Fuck, uh, I'm on Sunday. <clears throat> it was the only. What, back, eh? It was really the only day that I could get the kid taken care of. Yeah, I normally do stuff with her on the afternoons, and then my but my mom it would take her for a few hours on Sunday. So I'm going to drop her off at ten and go out for a couple hours. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be fun. I think Greg. Uh, Mikhail, Mikhail, yeah, he's speaking. I think um, in the conference thing, so that'd be kind of cool too. So I should try. I should give him a message. See if I can. Yeah. Say hello. Anyways, um, it's getting late, but I feel like we should answer these dudes' questions. Yeah, we got the uh, the Did trade you- the trade in one. <laughs> That's funny. Derek played poker with Greg back in the day. The Lions Den. Um, Derek, 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 oh, Derek Gray. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I thought it was the same. I thought it might be the same Derek, but I, he grew up in Richmond. So I didn't know if it was the Derek. I know it's, it's obviously the same, but I thought, uh, yeah, we grew up in Richmond and we used to pay, uh, we used to play poker every night in, uh, buddy's, buddy's parents garage. No way. <laughs> yeah, dude. We used to do it every night for like years. It was pretty sweet. We had like the same crew and just, just played some, played some cash games. It was a good time. That's funny. That's Are you a good yeah. poker player? Uh, no, no. I mean, comparative to some of the guys out there, I'm not, not good at all, but I, I, I have fun. It's fun. I'm shit. I've known some legit players, so I can honestly say I'm shit. Um, okay. Do you have an answer for the three books question? I do. All right. Uh, Cause I don't. So I'm really interested to hear yours. So the gentleman's question was three books that aren't necessarily hunting books but they've helped you become a better hunter. Okay. Um, yeah. They, yeah, I guess these are all like the same thing. Um, the David Goggins one would be probably like number three. I think you're right on the, now you're, Honest. now you're talking. Yeah. He's uh, not just because I'm not like the biggest, like David Goggins, like jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. Fan, but like just his story in general is pretty crazy. Yes. Like you have a guy that has zero confidence sitting on the couch, slamming burgers and big yeah. gulps. And he just woke up one morning and decided to be like, fuck it. Yeah. And just went balls to the wall, maybe to the point where he's gone so crazy that his body's starting to break down on him a little bit. But, um, but man, what a, what a crazy, crazy intense individual. You got to give him credit for that for sure. Yep. Um, that would be number three. Uh, number two would be the seven pretty, pretty famous book, the seven habits of highly effective people, um, by Stephen Covey. 
Um, just a, just a very inspiring kind of like the simplicities of life kind of broken down into like seven habits, you know, to, to motivate you into how, how to be a better person, I guess you'd say. I mean, it, it's more of a, of a personal development book than I'd say a hunting book, but you could break it down to, you know, I think that's exactly and- what this tries guys trying to get at because any of those things that better you in those other elements of life. If they make you more successful, you're going to make more money. You make more money. You can go away on more hunting trips. Exactly. You can buy more gear. If it's stuff that's going to increase your your mental toughness, then you're going to be, you're going to stay out there longer. Like I think you're on the exact right track. Like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Directly doesn't improve your hunting acumen, but it does contribute to you being a better hunter. Yeah, for 100%. sure. Um, last one is probably the same kind of, the same kind of uh, basis. Um, but it's the the act, uh, the art of not giving a fuck, by Mark Manson, and uh, it's just it's just pretty much a great book about uh, the grinding and just getting past the bullshit of of life and and not letting negativity or uh, or things the way that you know the way life is way life goes get in get in your way. But yeah, that's it's that's that that's probably one of my favorite books of of all time. It's just kind of fuck it like you know, people, people are negative or people that, uh, or just the way that life is and just overcoming it and making time for the things that matter and stuff like that. So definitely. I love it, man. Um, I don't have a great answer and I'm going to, I'm going to pause on this one and I'm going to revisit it because I do want to give it a really good answer and I'll be honest about something. So I went back to school and did my MBA I finished five years ago. So I started seven years ago and I was a pretty big reader up until that point. And I had to read so much shit for that MBA that it like broke my head for reading. (laughs) And I haven't read a book for pleasure in the last five years. I've listened to some audio books, but I haven't actually read a book. And it's one of these things that, I, I really want to work on, but if I, but I know if I cast my mind back, I can think of some books that have had a, um, an impact like this is going to be a really weird one. What's that one? It's not by Paulo Coelho because Paulo Coelho wrote the alchemist. It's a really good book that opens up your mind a lot. But it's the one with the shaman dude, the Mexican guy. And it's not Don Quixote because, oh, we lost Greg again. Anyways, while Greg gets back on so we can like wrap this thing up, I would, I, I, I will spend some time on this and I will come up with three, um, three books that have had an impact on me because they're not going to be recent ones, but it's a worthwhile question. And I think that, um, yeah, it's worth digging into a little bit more. So Derek asks a very, Oh, here we go. So Derek asked a really interesting question and he said, why would you get a new bow if you can shoot that kind of group? So curious, trying to get to a hundred yards. 
I mean, this is a very fair question. And I know a lot of guys who upgrade bows every one to two years. And I'm always kind of surprised. Um, I'm going to give you some actual reasons, but the bottom line is there's finally some bows out that I'm really excited about. And this is definitely a, a purchase that's more on the frivolous end. Like if I was penny pinching at this point in my life, I don't need a new bow. I can go kill shit with this bow. No problem. However, this bow is not perfect. It's 80 pounds, which I can pull no problem, but practicing repetitively at 80 pounds does do a number on my shoulder and I want to drop back down to 70 pounds and it would cost me about 400 bucks for new limbs to get to 70 pounds. And so if I'm already going to be spending that kind of money, you know, maybe I should just look at getting a new bow. Also, the Pro Defiant 34 is one of the first of the new generation of bows so it's a fast bow and it's a powerful bow, but it's kind of clunky. Um, the valley's a little bit deep and and like the fall over to the back wall is like, there's a lot of like, oosh. Um, so it's a very stiff bow. It's not a super quiet bow. It is when you shoot it with a really heavy setup. Anyways, I could go on and on about it, but it, it requires a lot of work. Um, to shoot well regularly and looking at how far bows have come in the last five years, that new V3X 33 and that RX seven ultra are insane. Like they're quiet. They're beautiful. The draw cycle is crazy smooth. Um, and lots of times I use the podcast and the YouTube channel as an excuse to go buy shit because I'll do a review on it. I'll talk about it. And then I can kind of pretend that it was somehow useful to other people. Me Justifying spending your own a mind. shitload of money. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's the fun. It, it, it's fun and I'm excited. And I've always, here's the other thing. When I bought my Pro Defiant, I'm going to like, I have had very, very bad experiences with the bow shops and I'm not going to throw them under the bus because other people have had good experiences. So I'm not going to say that they're shit across the board, but just me personally, I've had very bad experiences and I've never been able to go to a bow shop with actual professionals who understand the needs of a hunting archer and have a bow like be properly measured and properly set up exactly for me. So everything I've always kind of felt like was bubble gum and duct tape. And then I had to figure it out myself. And I still don't know if I'm really doing things the right way. So it's always been a dream of mine to go to a shop like the, the bow rack and just get the professionals to do it right. And then be very confident in, in my, in my setup. Um, Derek says, what's your one species that you enjoy, enjoy taking with the bow? I enjoy them all. Here's what I will say. There is no contest to the level of intimacy you feel when shooting something with a bow in contrast to shooting with a rifle. And I don't care who you are and what your passions are. Shooting something with a gun does not feel like shooting something with a bow. It is a night and day different experience. And whether it was a bear or a deer, or an elk, or a goat, they all had that same feeling of intimacy. Um, 
for fun, my favorite animal to shoot with a bow is a bear because it's the only hunt for me that's not stressful because <laughs> I'm not worried about success and I just enjoy myself and have fun. So maybe that's, that's, that'll be my, if you, if you put a gun to my head, that's the animal I'm picking. I laugh because it's bear hunting is the spring is the only really super enjoyable time of hunting besides like just you enjoy hunting in the fall, obviously like that's why we do yeah. it. But I mean, it's a, it's a stressful feel like you're against the clock grind like weather. It's, it's, uh, it's it's uh it's stressful it's different yeah it's it is it is and, stressful and i don't want to lose all of that like i think it's important to temper it and not let it override your entire psychology but i don't want to lose all of it i like the tension i like the stress i want to stay focused on the task at hand so yeah. i'm okay with having a little bit of it sometimes i gotta work and i, I let it get out of hand but that's why the spring is just the spring, man. Just go out and have a good time. Maybe you get a bear. Maybe you don't. It's not that big a deal. Maybe you just bring home a meat bear. Who cares? Maybe you kill a big old stud. Who cares? Like it, I, yeah, I just find it, it's just fun. Mm. Um, we're going to skip the gear, or did you come up with an answer, gear you sold that you regretted? I've never... I've never sold anything that <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I've never, I've never sold anything. I don't think I've ever sold anything, um, that I've regretted. Um, but I haven't really sold a lot of things yeah. because I have totes of it in the garage and my wife will be more than happy to back me up on that. Um, no, she, I, I'm, I've always been the type of person. I think I'm pretty close to the same as you, Jay. Is like you try and buy something first. Buy once, buy, try buy, once, buy, my friend. Buy, buy once, and it's it, with this industry. It's like one of the things that like is it rains, it rains so true here. Hundred um, percent. And you get a lot of the good thing is if you do buy good good stuff, a lot of the times if you want to switch up, you get your money back or yeah. close to it. Right. So, I, I believe in that it's, it served me very well in camera gear as well. Like I've yeah. probably had seven or eight different, like full blown DSLR setups and I've done very, very, very well. Um, the fuck? I've done very well moving from one camera system to another camera system simply because, um, if you buy nice shit, you can get 70 or 80% of your money back out of it. Definitely. I'm going to revisit that one next week because I think it's a good question and I want to dig deeper into it. And I'm also going to revisit the arrow building question. So a gentleman asked about the basics of arrow building. Um, and I'm actually going to cover that in more detail probably next week because I'm about to build my own new arrows from the ground up. So re, 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 um, I'll be changing the spine because I'm moving from 80 pounds to 70 pounds. And that basically means you change everything. So I kind of have an idea in my head what the setup is going to be. The other thing that I'm playing around with is that I might start up a custom arrow building service. There isn't one in BC as far as I know. And most of the shipping costs to have stuff like that from the States is pretty brutal but there's two or three arrows in particular that I really like and two or three component systems I really like. And I was thinking I could buy those in bulk and then maybe offer like a consulting service where people could phone in 
and talk about your experience level, the bow you shoot, what your goals are for animals. And then we could put together a setup for you. And then I could build you a dozen of those and, you know, do it at a, at a fairly affordable rate, but obviously with a bit of a premium on top of the costs to cover my labor. I actually just ordered an arrow saw and a chronograph today. Cool. And nice. so the bow shop is looking pretty complete, man. We got a press, we got a vice, got an arrow saw, got a chronograph, and I'm kind of half ass, you know, building an archery shop in my garage because I'm kind of frustrated with the lack of a hunting focused archery shop in the lower mainland. And maybe you might see mindful hunter archery in the not so distant future. Cool. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to add, man? We kind of, I think I went on too many rants tonight. I think I'm monopolized. Oh, I think that was good. I mean, um, we'll do that research on the, uh, yeah, let's because uh, you're going to come on once a month. Let's let's yeah. pick a date. We don't have to do it right now, but like we'll earmark something three or four weeks out so that we both know what we're looking at and we can both do our homework. Yeah, and then have a sure. more intelligent <clears throat> conversation about um, those issues. Yeah, well, we can even try sense. and get somebody on the province to hop on here with us. Like it's surprising like some of the people that'll agree to come on a podcast. Yeah, no, I'd like to know where the uh, where the funds are going. Anyways, I mean, it should be going back in, but we'll see. And then what the what the numbers actually are, like, yeah, I'd be surprised. So, yeah, no, that sounds awesome, man. And good luck tomorrow. Drive safe and uh, enjoy yourself. It should be fun down there. I yeah, mean, man, I'm excited. Pretty, yeah, they got a pretty sweet range and everything, so that'll be pretty uh, pretty good time. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Awesome. All right, buddy. Have a good night. Thanks for Cheers, hopping man. on for everybody yeah, else. For sure. um, like comment, share, subscribe, engage with, with the platform in any way that you can. It's deeply appreciated. Um, thanks everybody for, for popping on. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Night everybody. Night, Greg. Cheers.